Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. I'm your host, Kelly O'Mara, and the editor-in-chief of Triathlete Magazine. Now, this week, we have something exciting. Our first in-person interview here in Boulder. Now, don't worry. Everyone had masks on when they came in before we set them up on opposite ends of our studio, very socially distanced. But it was still exciting to do this interview in person with Justin Metzler and Jeannie Seymour. Justin and Jeannie are two up-and-coming young stars with 15 70.3 wins between the two of them. And they get very real here about how they've been growing and learning together, how Jeannie finally agreed to go on a date with Justin because she felt bad for him after a world championship performance, and how they're still trying to figure everything out on their list of big goals. Plus, they have two very different answers to our Would You Rather at the end of the show. And first, we talk with one of our longtime writers, Susan Lackey, about the new in-depth series she's been doing for our Active Pass members. It dives into the science behind our endurance sports. And this week, it's all about sports bras, which have way more research in them than you'd expect. Now, if you don't know, Susan is deaf, so we had to use some of all this new technology to make podcasting work. And we did have some audio issues at the start, but stay with us. We'll also share all the links to the Endurance Geek stories for Active Pass members in our show notes. All that after this break. Even though most of us aren't racing right now, we're all still focused on our overall health and well-being. That's where MitoQ comes in. Like everything else in our body, our mitochondria become less efficient as we age. From the age of 30 on, levels of CoQ10 in the mitochondria can decline by 10% with each passing decade. This means our body's natural resilience also declines, which can impact our training, recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep, stress, hormones, and brain power. This is why a new supplement called MitoQ is becoming increasingly popular among athletes. It helps the body to better absorb intense training periods and recover faster. Some athletes have even noted improved VO2 max, heart rate variability, and lactate thresholds. When you combine those things with not needing as long to recover and being able to maintain more intense training cycles, you can see why it might result in performance gains. To learn more about MitoQ's unique formula, independent clinical trials, and athlete testimonials, visit www.mitoq.com. That's M-I-T-O-Q.com. All right, this week, Susan Lackey is joining us. And if you read our website, our magazine, you've seen her name. She does a lot of work for us. And you just started, this is very exciting, Susan, a series for us called Endurance Geeks, where you're diving into like the science of endurance sports. It's kind of very in-depth. And this week, you're going very in-depth on sports bras. So tell us a little bit about why sports bras. Like why is there even science there? So, so um, it wasn't that long ago, really, if you think about it, that um, endurance sports were really amateur, right? Even the professionals were wearing shoes that were made from waffle iron and t-shirts that were made from cotton. So we were kind of winging it. Um, you know, women were told not to run long distances or else the uterus would fall out. Um, okay. We weren't running 100 miles because that seemed impossible. And the idea of doing an Ironman was really just something that um, would never be done in eight hours, right? And so I started thinking about how we got from there to where we are today. And really, a lot of it has to do with the fact that before we were just kind of making it up as we went along. 
Uh, and now we have science, right? We have research that tells us how we can beat that, um, not just from a technological standpoint. You know, we've got better gear, we've got better uh, equipment, but also we have this whole field of research that's teaching us how we can be happier, how we can be healthier, how we can perform better. Uh, we have science that has taken us from stopping at McDonald's during the first Ironman uh, to a whole field of specialized nutrition. And the people that do this research are obsessed. And, and I think it speaks really well to the fact that endurance athletes tend to be really um, detailed and really meticulous. And they're always willing to try new things. And it turns out that the scientists do the exact same thing. Uh, they, they take one very specific topic and, and they study it, they know it inside and out, and um, they become this walking encyclopedia of their topic. And the problem that we have now, though, is that sometimes science doesn't always get to the everyday athlete. Right. Uh, and, and so I wanted to bridge that gap. I wanted to kind of explain the science in a way that makes sense to all of us because what I'm seeing right now is there's a lot of influencers who are coming in and they're talking about, you know, this is what you need to do to be faster. This is what you need to be, this is what you need to do to be better. And um, there's no science, there's no research behind it. And that drives me crazy because there's so much good science out there. So that's why we started the series. And we started with a topic that was really loudly misunderstood for a long time. And that was the swim deaths. Right, triathlon. right. So we talked to Jurgen a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And basically, um, I looked at why we assumed for so long that people were just having heart attacks in the water. Mm -hmm. And it really came down to there was no research. And um, I, I found the people who have been doing research on this topic, who have been trying to figure out why is it that of the three disciplines in triathlon, swim, bike, and run, why do 70% of deaths happen in the swim? Um, and these researchers have found that it's not heart attacks at all. It's actually um, a very different condition called SIPE, uh, swimming-induced pulmonary edema. And the whole science behind that is really so fascinating because not only are they trying to figure out why SIPE happens, but they're trying to figure out how to stop it from yeah. happening. And they're getting creative with that. Uh, in the article, I talk about some tests that they're doing as well as some possible solutions to try to prevent swim deaths. And um, it's really surprising and really fascinating to see what these researchers are doing. Yeah, it's uh, the whole swim death thing was crazy. We talked to Jurgen, who's one of the researchers doing a lot of work on this a couple of weeks ago, and he told us all about kind of all the research they're doing, um, some of the changes they made at Norseman. Uh, I will include a link to that story in our show notes. But then this week, you tackled a much uh, less serious topic, sports mm -hmm. bras. Yeah. So why sports bras? <laughs> well, so if you think about it, if you talk to most women who are endurance athletes, runners, and triathletes, and you ask them what's the best sports bra out there, you're going to get 20 different answers, and 10 of them are going to be, I haven't found one yet. 
And it made me wonder why. Why is it that we can't build a decent sports bra? And so I was looking through the research and it turns out that when the sports bra was invented in 1977, um, it was really an accidental discovery. These women um, took their husband's dark straps and they sewed them together as a way to try to bring support to, to their breasts while they were running. And until then, there really was no garment to try to help women be comfortable while they were running. Um, you know, all of these discoveries were being made about running shoes, helping you become faster, and trying to design specialized equipment, um, while sports bras were really an afterthought. So when the sports bra was invented in the 70s, it happened around the same time as Title IX. And those two things really created this perfect situation where women all of a sudden could feel uh, like it was, it was a possibility to be active, to start running. But now, you know, 40 some years later, there hasn't been that much change to the sports bra. If you look at a sports bra today and a sports bra from the 70s, there's really not that much difference. Um, and that's kind of a bummer because we have all the science about running suits, right? We can we can build these running suits that can scientifically make you much faster. Um, and yet we're not really doing the same thing with sports bras. And that's changing because now there are researchers, there's a whole um, there's a whole research center actually in England at the University of Portsmouth, and all they do is study sports bras. And I find that fascinating because I mean, who does that? Right? <laughs> who says all they want to do all day long is look at bouncing breasts and try to figure out how to stop them from bouncing? <laughs> but what they've done is they found some really interesting um, discovery in the way that the breasts move. And what they found is that originally the sports bras were trying to stop breasts from bouncing up and down. Mm -hmm. But because of the biomechanical research that's been done, we're seeing now the breasts don't just move, move up and down, they also move side to side and in and out. And the sports bras today don't account for that. They're just trying to stop the bouncing from up, uh, bouncing up and down. And so, these researchers are trying to design a butter sports bra. And along the way, they found that sports bras aren't just about comfort. They're a legit performance tool. Mm -hmm. um, wearing a, an inadequate sports bra actually slows you down as a runner. And one study that has been done um, showed that uh, women who have a D-cup Breast and are wearing an inadequate sports bra can actually slow down their marathon time by an average of 34 minutes. Mm -hmm. And what's more, the uh, sports bra, because of the way it changes our biomechanics, if we're wearing a bad sports bra, um, we're trying to cushion some of that bounce, right? So we shorten our stride when we're wearing a bad sports bra. And that can add up to an extra mile of running to our marathon. Hmm. Uh, we're adjusting our biomechanics to prevent that bounce. And so then we uh, alter our gait and it makes us more susceptible to injury. So we have all this science that's coming out now that's saying this is more than just stopping women's breasts from bouncing. This is a legit performance 
tool and we need to be designing about as possible. And there are scientists out there that are trying to develop uh, designs that are trying to develop textiles that can create something that is really nothing like the sports bras we have on the market today. But whether we'll see manufacturers actually apply that is yet to be seen because uh, one of the components of the story is that we've been doing the sports bra the same way for so long that to completely reinvent the sports bra is a scary thing. No company wants to be the one that takes that risk, right? Right, right. So, so it's just really fascinating science. And to talk to these researchers who are completely obsessed with trying to build a better sports bra, it's just really cool to see because they're just taking this one small element that could make a huge difference for women athletes. Oh, it makes a huge difference. It's not just like, oh, a sports bra. Like, I like this one because it looks cute. There's literally stats about women with larger breasts drop out of sports sooner because they have more back pain, because they have, like, there's a reason that we don't see women with larger breasts in as much in endurance sports, in running. And it's not because they're not good, right? It's not because they don't want to do it. It's because they don't have the tools. Uh, so it's definitely a problem for sure. Yeah, for sure. And so then that's kind of the whole idea behind the series. And I want to get to know and introduce readers uh, to the people who are really trying to change endurance sports, trying to make it better for athletes. Um, coming up, actually, um, in, in October, we're going to have uh, another installment, and it's going to talk about the people who are designing running blades for amputees. Okay athlete. And a lot of people assume that, um, you know, the running blades are designed to uh, be some kind of um, uh, replacement for a so-called real leg. And that's actually not the case at all. A running blade in and of itself is a tool. It's a piece of equipment. And um, it's really about maximizing the capacity of the amputee athlete. Um, and so somebody who is missing one or both legs is going to move differently from somebody who has both legs intact. And so the whole science behind really trying to um, understand the biomechanics of the amputee athlete, as well as how to get the most out of them, um, comfort-wise and performance-wise. It's really just a fascinating uh, uh, science. And, um, you know, we're seeing some pretty cool stories come out of that. So I'm really excited for that article as well. Yeah. All right. So we will include all of Susan's stories in the show notes, the Endurance Geek. Well, not all your stories, because you write a lot of stories, but the yeah. Endurance Geek <laughs> stories. Um which are, you know, some of our membership stories for our Active Pass members. And they're very in-depth and they're very interesting. And thank you so much for telling us a little bit about it, Susan. And, uh, and I hope this next one's interesting too. Great. Thanks for having me on to tell you about it. Many of us have heard of supplementing our training with CoQ10 for energy and recovery. Well, MitoQ is a unique form of CoQ10 specially engineered to get inside the mitochondria to help create cellular energy and neutralize free radicals. It helps improve recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep, and stress, all of which will help you train better and be healthier. To learn more about the unique formula of MitoQ, independent clinical trials, and athlete testimonials, visit www.mitoq.com. That's M-I-T-O-Q.com. 
All right, this week we're talking to Justin Metzler and Jeannie Seymour. And most importantly, guys, wasn't your wedding supposed to be right now, but you had to cancel it? How, how does that even work? What's going on? Um, actually, no, we, um, we got married last year pretty just like quickly. Um, yeah, just like it was just Justin's parents and we just got married in Denver, low key and just the, the way we wanted it to be. So, um, I wasn't really interested in having a big ordeal and, um, stressing over that. So, um, it actually was really great. <laughs> yeah. I think like on one hand we thought, oh, maybe we'll do a big party. Right. So I thought you were going to have like some right. big but yeah. COVID stopped that. Or yeah. So I think like technically, yeah. you know, we've been married and now because it's been a year and a half, I feel like we're maybe past the party stage, <laughs> which I, there's, it's never too late to do something like that. But yeah, we were supposed to have a party this year that the party, the celebration component uh, got postponed, but we're happily married. So that's okay. That's okay, good. good. Cause yeah. I know like I was worried. I was like, wait, yeah. So what have you guys been doing in COVID? I mean, we were talking about this kind of before. Justin's been going like full tilt, making up races. Jeannie, I think you've been taking it like a little more low key. How are you approaching all this uh, craziness? Uh, yeah, why don't you wait? Well, I think, yeah, everyone handles this differently, I think, because everyone's so different sort of in nature. And my sort of philosophy about triathlon and training is I'm, I love to train and racing for me is generally a reflection of the training that I do every day. And so I get really inspired by pushing myself and being out there with my training partners and sort of just getting into that daily, daily grind and the day to day of it. So for me, at least in the early portions of COVID, it was sort of business as usual, just cracking on my coaches and I came up with all these different goals. I set a 5k personal best. We were out here doing time trials. I did a, a half Ironman, one V one race with Tyler Butterfield. So I was just trying to do stuff to stay motivated. And, um, yeah, obviously that runs its course after a while. <laughs> um, and just recently we took a little bit of a break, but my thought process for me being a relatively young guy, I'm 27, I'm still sort of in the process of developing. And so, finishing last season and I actually snuck a race in this year. I raced Dubai in February. Right. You were like actually overseas when everything went down, right? Yeah. And that was, we can get into that if you'd like, but that was kind of scary just being over there and having it all develop. But when I came back from Dubai, I was really motivated to improve. And I said, okay, here are the two or three things I need to get better at. And regardless of racing, I think those things needed to be paid attention to in training. So I just sort of used the COVID time to lock down and focus on that stuff. And hopefully I've come out the other side better in the coming months, we'll see if we can get back to racing and see if it actually worked. But and I, yeah. I like how you just said, oh, I just did this like casual race with Tyler. I saw you guys out there and Jeannie was like doing water bottle handoffs on the bike. It was like very serious. Yeah. He actually got pretty grumpy with me <laughs> at one point because I was like right by him on the bike, giving him water. And, um, uh, he was like a little bit of ways back from Tyler. And uh, I was like, oh, you're doing great. And like, I don't know, he snapped at me something like, I'm actually doing okay, you know, and I, I obviously didn't mean it like that, but he was obviously a bit low on sugar. This is like pro triathlete couple problems. <laughs> we're like, we're, we're getting grumpy about bonking here. And yeah, it was more of tone. It was like, oh, hey, important. yeah, it was like a, like a soft encouragement, but you're actually losing. Oh, oh, oh it was the, um, what, the one I always get from my husband is just keep going. Oh. And I'm like, oh, that's when you're like, ooh. ooh. Yeah. <laughs> like, or he's just up there and it's yeah. like, the ooh. visibility's a mile and a half. <laughs> well, know, it's like, him. you know, you get to know your partner really well. And I've seen Justin at his best and I know when he's really going well mm-hmm. and I know the kind of runner he is. So um, it was just more like, oh, I know there's more in him. So mm-hmm. okay. that okay. that's all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you obviously, I mean, 
Jeannie, you came off Kona, which I think was like a little disappointing last year, right? And kind of had to like reevaluate. So I think it sounds like you've been taking this year a lot easier, kind of getting back to the basics. Yeah. I mean, yeah, in all honesty, Kona wasn't what I, what I wanted. And, um, I was kind of down after that race and, um, I've been kind of struggling with my mental health ever since, to be honest. So, um, COVID was kind of a time for me to kind of do a lot of self-reflection and be like, okay, like I really do want to go back to Kona and it's not going to happen this year. So what do I need to do to get back to what I want to do mm-hmm. really well and, and be healthy, right? So I think mental health is a topic we don't talk a lot about in the sport and um, it's real. And I've been at my lowest point probably in the last few months. And I've been really working hard to just get back to a place where I'm happy and enjoying the sport again. And um, the great thing about this time has been, I think, we've been doing so much more adventure rides and maybe runs we would never typically do or take a little vacation, um, going to places we've never been to. And that's kind of been refreshing. So um, with the downs, there's definitely been positives and I'm trying to focus on that going forward. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I know you posted um, kind of on Instagram and social media about, you know, mental health and how it is a thing we all go through. And it's certainly like, it's a topic we're talking about more and more these days. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you got people responding to you saying like, oh yeah, I'm going, I, you know, I've had similar struggles or. Yeah. I mean, I I got a few personal Mm -hmm. messages from people, which is really, really great, but I don't think a lot of people um, honestly have the courage to open up and be vulnerable and, and talk about those kinds of things because it's like it's it's not fun right Mm -hmm. um I think especially as athletes um we feel that we have to portray something on on social media that people can look up to and we have this like picture of strong like you know super motivated people and the reality is we can't be that all the time um so I'm just trying to be more real and uh, I've tried to take a step back from social media that's actually helped me that's a good idea a lot so um if you are struggling with that that would be my first kind of like piece of advice to just like I don't know take take this time to just kind of take a step back and be like okay what do I really enjoy doing like you know focus on on things that are making you happy and and try and get back to that place where you can I don't know be back in the game that's right. super intense and and all that <laughs> I mean it's a thing like I think everybody's also having trouble with right now because you know because mm-hmm. the world's kind of like terrible right now Right. I mean, and in the grand scheme of things, I mean, yes, we love racing, but there's so much more going on in the world. Like people are dying and people's health is is, is not doing well. And some people can't travel and see their family. Like I can't go back to South Africa. Um, um, I, I think a lot of people are in that position too, where you can't even travel to go and see your family, which, which kind of sucks, right? So um yeah, I think that just having that perspective too, that like, yeah, we're in our own little triathlon bubble, but there's real stuff happening in the world. I mean, like, I don't know, this year has been crazy with shootings and the weather and wildfires. Oh, and the fires are terrible. And yeah. So I don't know. I guess there's lots to be grateful for too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. So obviously people who don't know from your accent, you grew up in South Africa. You're from South Africa. You both yes. live in Boulder now. Mm-hmm. First off, how did you guys meet? How did that happen? Is it a good story? 
I think it's a pretty good story. <laughs> well, we met in Boulder, so I'll let Justin tell it. I think he's better at telling the story. Just um. <laughs> Yeah, well, we had a mutual friend, actually, Chris Lieferman, who we were just mm-hmm. talking about. He's doing a race coming up, and we were traveling to a race together, and Jeannie and him were training because they were coached by the same person at the time, and he was like, hey – do you know this girl? And I was like, no, I've never met her. And then of course I go on Facebook and I look her up and I'm like, oh, she's cute. Okay, cool. And so I send her a Facebook message on messenger and I'm like, Hey, we, do you want to go for a bike ride? I led with bike ride. And which, she like went with that. Cause I gotta say, I don't know if she, I would, I don't think she bought it, the, but the thing was no. she, she took the bait straight away. She was like, yes, a hundred percent. And then I was so excited. I remember telling my buddy, Will, I was like, Hey, Will, I'm going on a date with this girl. We're going to go for a bike ride. It's going to be amazing. I thought about it the whole week. And then last minute she bailed. She was like, oh, I've got to go, you know, she was babysitting or so I got to go babysit. I don't know, whatever. You made up some excuse. <laughs> She's like, I have to wash my hair. Right. right. So, so she made up an excuse and I was like, fine. And then I was like, okay, let's go again next week. And so she, we made plans and same thing. She bailed on me last minute. <laughs> and so this happened maybe three or four times. And ultimately I got the hint that I was like, okay, she's not into it. It's right. fine. I got to take the hint here. <laughs> and uh, so months went by. This must've been May of 2000. Uh, 15. And, uh, I went to Zillamse, Austria to race world champs, the 70.3 world champs. But three weeks before I had a really bad bike crash in Boulder, I dislocated my shoulders and broke my ribs. So I was in pretty bad shape, but at the time I had spent all this money to go over there, non-refundable. Right. And so I'm like, I'm going anyways. And I went over there and I remember getting passed by Daniela reef 10 miles into the bike. <laughs> it happens to the best of us, right? It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that was, yeah, at the time I wasn't very, I like, yeah, it was not a good race for me. And then Jeannie, I guess felt bad for me and sent me a message on Insta or Facebook at the time. I was like, Hey, are you all right? Yeah. I guess like, you know, my first world championship didn't go very well for me. So I think I could just relate. And I was like, Oh, maybe I should, I shouldn't have, blew him off like a couple of times so let me just give him a go yeah. <laughs> and oh no so then, she felt bad for you uh, yeah it was, it was definitely like a pity date and a friend of mine was just like yeah, you just got to try you know because I I wasn't dating at the time and um so she was like just go what's the worst case scenario you just it doesn't work out or whatever so but we ended up going on a coffee date and the rest was history <laughs> yeah we actually moved in together it must have been two or three weeks after we met oh really yeah so pretty fun- quickly okay yeah and we've been together ever since so obviously <laughs> yeah was that uh, two or three weeks that's crazy is that just like pro triathlete you were bumming around and it made sense or it was sort of circumstantial uh, like yeah we were both sort of in need of a place and Jeannie was looking to get out of her current right. situation and I had space in my bed. I guess. <laughs> yeah. We were just young and having fun. And it really, um, I don't yeah. even think we thought about it. I, yeah. I don't think we thought about it. We were just like, well, let's, why not? Yeah, I think we both, it was one of those things. I think we both sort of knew on the first date, at least I did that this was going to be it. And so, yeah, just something told me right away that that was, I didn't even have to think about it. It wasn't a discussion. I actually went back to South Africa with her, for Christmas, it was just, we had just met in September and I went back, I think three months later, like, Hey, I'm this American guy here to meet your family. Yeah. To fly 17 hours. Um, yeah. I'm really glad you came. It's like, I don't know. You, sometimes you need to just go to South Africa and just like get a culture shock and well, just like see the, the, like really what happens like in South Africa. Cause it's not like this picturesque like safari all cool things like <laughs> there's poverty and um yeah i'm sure justin can describe it better but i'm glad he came to see <laughs> yeah the hardest part for me the culture shock was definitely 
great. And I just had an awesome time seeing somewhere else. I hadn't done massive trips at that point. I just started since then that sort of propelled me to get the itch to travel. And that's good. Since then I had done, yeah, tens of races all over the world. So together, Jeannie and I alone, I've done tons of races everywhere, but that trip sort of spurred it. And I think it was because it was so incredibly hard for me to fly in economy for 17 hours because I'm six foot four and it was miserable. And like I had just mentioned, I had my shoulder dislocated. So it was subluxing in and out of socket on the plane. I remember it being the most painful plane ride of my whole life. But see, and this is what he did for you. See, exactly. Yeah. Well, he should probably go look, get his shoulder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I have already told him that. So yeah, always, yeah. we're stubborn, though. You know how it goes. Yeah. So, so you guys. So you. She finally stops blowing you off. Three weeks later, you move in together. Do you guys train together? I mean, I know you briefly have the same coach, but you have different coaches now. That's always like the hot, the touchy topic, right? With mm-hmm. tri couples, mm, very touchy. Yeah, I mean, so at that point, I actually, uh, well, Justin was with JC Kropnicki, so the, um, I was looking for a new coach, and I spoke to JC, and I really connected with him. So I started training with JC um, once we we first started dating. So we were kind of like on the same schedule, I would say. Like, so most things we would train together, and. Um, I guess it was helpful for me because like it was it was great to train with a pro male like <laughs> just a little bit better than you and that made me faster and for Justin I don't think it was the best thing because we actually very different athletes so at first it was kind of good and it was fun but then like once we started racing more and training together and obviously just being together more like we realized we we need different things and you can't always train with your partner it's it's honestly not the best thing for you because more often than not like you're either gonna go faster than you should or too easy for the for the guys so um yeah that just we needed a change (laughs) yeah I I think it's a it was double-edged sword and I don't regret that at all because it allowed us to cement our relationship. And when you're in the honeymoon phase and you're falling in love, I think it's important to spend a lot of time with that person. And you get to know someone really quickly that way when you spend literally 24 hours a day with them. And at the time we didn't want anything else. Right. Um, Even if it came at the detriment to our, what we needed specifically from a triathlon perspective, I think, yeah, it was a worthwhile investment in our relationship, but there definitely came a time when the honeymoon period sort of wears off a little bit. And you're like, at the time, Jeannie was having a ton of success. That was when she sort of burst on the scene. I wasn't getting the results and performances and sort of trajectory in my training that I was expecting at the time. And so we had to sit sit down and have a discussion, say, okay, what do we need to do as a couple to make sure that we're still equally happy, but then also we're both professionally pursuing what we need to in our careers. Um, and that was about two years ago when we sort of said, maybe three years ago, we had that discussion and then it took a coaching change for me to find my right path. And I feel like now we're both sort of, um, we've established that we do very, very little training together. (laughs) It sounds, it sounds like it's probably healthy. It's very healthy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, Justin's training with Julie Dibbins now and, um, uh, he's just doing so well and it's just so great to see him thriving and improving so much just over the past year and a half I would say it's just it's it's nice to stand from the outside and not be in in that like like I, I guess I can see from the outside now because I don't train with him a lot but um, even just seeing him like do that race with Tyler it's like it's exciting to see him doing so well so I'm do you ever stoked. 
Um, this is where it gets to, right? Do you ever offer opinions like, hey, maybe you shouldn't do that workout today? Maybe you should take, right? Do you ever offer your... I think like I'm pretty good about not telling Justin what to do, <laughs> but like I, I typically, I ask him sometimes what should I do uh, and, and stuff. So, um, but yeah, that's, it's a, <laughs> that's tricky a whole one. other story. It's tricky. I think like, uh, so I, as Jeannie mentioned, I was coached by Jesse Kropelnicki before I started being coached by Julie and Jesse and I left on really good terms and he was still coaching Jeannie at the time. And we had conversations after I had left saying, Hey, look, I still want our relationship to be strong and I want to, because he lives in Boston, they don't have the privilege of him seeing her every day where that's like Jeannie doesn't necessarily need to give Julie feedback on what I look like because she sees me every day. So it's pretty easy for her in that instance. And so in my mind, I was thinking, oh, I might be the eyes on the ground for him. But I think just naturally and organically, we decided that's not a good move. No, because then I inherently have my own opinions about what she should be doing and what she looks like. And if she's too tired or if she's not tired enough, or if she's training too hard or training too easy. And I think we just said in order for us to be successful and have our professional triathlon career, be one thing and our relationship be another thing. We must keep those two things separate and you go to work. I go to work. We come back and we are a married couple and it's easier said than done, but we try. Yeah. I think we are still working through that, but, um, yeah, it's like, it's tricky here in Boulder because you're at altitude, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. it's super hot or like we've been having these wildfires. So there's like- And snow. And, and then snow. So it's like, okay, what the heck? Like one day you like, you can't breathe. And then the next day it's like super cold. So it's like just managing the elements almost all the time here in Boulder. So I know. Um, yeah. Since I moved here, I've been joking, like coaches who with athletes in Boulder should get paid more because you have to adjust like every day. Right. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So you, but, but Jeannie, you decided to move to Boulder when you wanted to be a pro triathlete, right? Like you were, grew up in South Africa, you did mm-hmm. lots and lots of sports. Yeah. And then you finally did a triathlon. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, in my final year of high school, I, I joined a triathlon club and I just, uh, I really enjoyed the training and I did my first 70.3 in South Africa. And, um, I was training with the South African coach at the time. And then he, he told me to come over to Boulder for a summer. And so I came over with him, but like I had no money and I had nowhere to stay. And I was like, on Craigslist trying to find a place and I ended up staying with some students um, down by CU and I just made it work, right? And I just like, this place is just incredible, just the lifestyle and like pursuing triathlon was what I wanted to do. And just like, it's completely different from where I'm from in South Africa. Like it's just, you you can't even walk outside from where I live in really? Johannesburg. Like it's just not safe, right? Uh-huh. So for me, this was like a dream come true. And I just, yeah, I was so grateful to have my parents to support that dream. And um, yeah, I just, I cut my study short to come over the following year and I ended up staying with an American couple in their basement for six months and then it was eight months and then I was able to get my P1 sports visa which allowed me to stay here even longer and um, yeah I was just trying to get off my feet and um, it's only yeah pretty much once I started doing a little bit better in racing that it got easier and then 
I met Justin and we also got on the Timex multi-sport mm. team, which really helped um, my career. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's been great. And I, I love living here in Boulder. I think it's a, a great place to live and, um, yeah, very grateful to be here. I mean, you said it would be a culture shock for Justin going back there, but how is it, I mean, if you, I think if I moved to another country by myself when I was like 20, mm-hmm. be culture shock. I would just be like, oh, I don't yeah. even know what to do. I, yes, I, sometimes I, I don't know how I did it. Like I honestly was, I had no money and I was so lonely. There was just some nights where I would just like, just cry and just be like, what am I doing? Right. Like it could be so easy to just be back home and I don't know, just get a job. But um, once you like, I don't know, start doing well and right. um, just get off your feet, I guess. It's like, it's just so worth it. Like, I'm just so fortunate to do what I'm really passionate about and I love racing and, um, yeah, just building my life with Justin has been really great and we have, like, a little dog now <laughs> and... Um, Everyone has a dog. It's like a requirement yeah. of Boulder. So, yeah. I don't know. We just, like, I don't know, finding our feet even more. Like, I okay. think we... We'd love to to buy a house here. It's going to take some time because it's very expensive, but we're getting there baby steps. And um, yeah, I think every year we're just taking off some some goals that we have as a couple. And yeah, it's been good. You've got like our three... A three item list that's running of our big overarching themes of what we want to do in our life. And I think that started as we want to, you know, not have any roommates anymore. We want to get our own apartment or maybe it started as like, we don't want to have to have a budget to buy groceries or something like that. We can go to the store and buy whatever food we need or something like that. Um, we want to get a dog and yeah, recently we moved apartments. That was a big step for us. So we always just keep this like little running list. And I think to look back and say, okay, we were able to achieve these steps and ne- it's never been a big move. It's always just been this incremental thing. And I think indicative and reflective on our careers as the athletes that we've been is sort of just hardworking people who ha- are young, but have been doing this a long time and sort of just incrementally are always there. I mean, you've been doing it since you were like 12. So like conversely, right? Like, I mean, she found triathlon later after doing a lot of different sports. You've been doing triathlon forever, right? I mean, More or less yeah. feels that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even though you're only 28 or whatever. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been doing this since I was 13, I think officially, but my dad was racing Ironmans when I was a kid. So it was always sort of around, I think he was probably did his first triathlon when I was maybe 10. And so it's been in my life for 17 out of 27 years. Um, and yeah, I just sort of loved watching him race. I was very mm-hmm. inspired by him doing it. But at the time I thought I was going to be in the NBA Right. That right, was my big right. thing. I was like, I'm going to be a shooting guard in the NBA. I still got a pretty good jumper, by the way, but yeah, that's, <laughs> a, that's a whole nother thing. Um, yeah. So I sort of um, pursued that to the point where I could, which for me was pretty early. I realized I wasn't going to be a shooting guard in the NBA, um, but it was always a goal for me to be a professional athlete. So I said, what are my options here? <laughs> <laughs> um, at the time I'd committed to basketball, it wasn't going to work out. And I said, what else can I do? And I just, my dad challenged me to do a triathlon. Um, and so I picked it up with him and it was just us training together in the beginning stages, but then quickly learned I had maybe a little bit of talent. And I, know, yeah. I think you said we did like a, whatever, quick questions with you. And we asked you, when did you know you were going to be good? And you said, when you beat your dad, that was a big, that was <laughs> massive for me. That was massive for us. That like, yeah, it was huge. I think our first, when we first got going, when I was 13, we would go for a long run on every Sunday and we would do five to six miles. It would take us over an hour. So running like 11, 12 minute miles. And I remember just fondly, we'd had this, this big, uh, 
garbage bin that we would stop at. We would take a gel and chug the flasks that we had on our water belts that we would both run with. And we'd pause our big, we had the big Garmin Forerunner 205. We were all geeked out, like all the gear, no idea. And it was just, I look back so fondly on those memories because we've come, I've come so far. He had come so far at the time. And it's just like, yeah, it was very grassroots at the time, but yeah, quickly became. So you never considered a non-pro athlete lifestyle job career. I think the pressures of normal society (laughs) put that on you. Okay. Um, So I graduated college. Well, yeah, that's good. So I was able to do that, but I was a full-time triathlete, part-time student and somehow was able to make it work and get my degree, which I still don't know how I did that. I actually dropped out of college twice in the span of me going to college. Um, just cause I, yeah, I was getting in seriously into triathlon my senior year of high school, but I wasn't good enough to be recruited by USA triathlon right. to go the ITU path. I had gone to a USA triathlon developmental camp and they pretty much just said, thanks, but no thanks. Um, and so I had done a half Ironman when I was 16. Uh, it was called spirit of Racine triathlon before Ironman bought the race. Oh, in Racine, oh, in Racine, okay. Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I had already dabbled in long course a little bit and I, I sort of knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I just got this sort of, yeah, it was like a, a bug that I couldn't shake at all. Um, and yeah, no matter what I did, this was all I wanted to do was train. Okay. And yeah, that's, I just sort of stuck with it. That's fortunate because, you know, yeah. it's like, what's the whole, you gotta love the journey, not just the destination. Yeah. And so. I think that's where my whole mindset comes is like, I love racing. It motivates me. That's how I get out of bed. But, uh, yeah, I think I'm just really love to train and I've always loved to do that. So you guys both had, I mean, so Jeannie, you had like a pretty breakthrough year a couple years ago. You won like a whole bunch of 70.3s and then just, I mean, you won like five 70.3s, which isn't quite as many as nine, you know. Catching up. Yeah. I'm going to catch up next year. <laughs> we get the chance. So, I mean, what, what do you feel like made those breakthroughs happen? Um, well, yeah, I mean, just meeting Justin was a huge thing for me. Just like, um, having someone to share this journey with, mm-hmm. um, really helped. I think we were really happy. Right. Um, and like I mentioned, I got on the multi-sport team with right. Timex. So, um, just having some financial relief also just like took away some stress that I had because at the time, yeah, we didn't have a lot of money and, um, we were fortunate enough to race on trek bikes, which was like a big jump from what I was on. <laughs> so being on the best equipment um, at that time also just helped me. And um, I think I chose really good races too. I think, <laughs> um, yeah, sometimes you just like, you just pick the right races and um, yeah, the opportunities were there and I just put myself out there. I went to China and- um, I, I, was, I was at that China. You ran like a 118. Uh, I remember yeah, being like, holy I, shit. Right. <laughs> I just had a, a great run that day. And um, it was, yeah, I mean, just China was a great opportunity for us to to get some results. And I, I don't think a lot of people were traveling to China at that time. So I was a, I was fortunate in that sense. So because Ironman was supporting people mm-hmm. to go to those races. It's a lot of travel, big time difference. It's it's hard to get there. And um, but Justin and I were all for it. We were like, we're going to go wherever we can to to make this happen. And uh, like looking back, I'm so glad that we did like those are just some of our fondest memories. And like we both won Challenge Iceland that Mm. year. And that was one of my favorite places I've ever been to. So I guess just, yeah, putting myself out there and uh, just being in a really good place. Just, um, yeah, I was just racing well. (laughs) Do you guys travel together to all your races now or do you do some, you do some separate and some together? 
yeah, I think it's a bit of a mix now because um, just depending on what our goals are for mm. the year. And um, yeah, I think it's also nice um, to support each other sometimes when the opportunity is there. So um, last year I went to um, an Ironman um, in Panama City um, and I was able to support Justin, which is really helpful, especially for the long stuff. Right, so yeah. um, to be able to be there for each other is also important. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's pretty rare. It's we've struggled. And I, as Jeannie said, we're still trying to work through that balance. I feel like we have the at home balance figured out, but when you go to a race, it's hard to have enough family energy to go around. And right. I think, I think, uh, if you guys had watched Tim and Rennie's video the year, Rennie DNF'd and Tim might've been second. I don't know if he said it this year, but he said, yeah. Hey, there's only so much in the household for the both of us. And I, you know, he claimed that he took all of it <laughs> and, to some degree. I think that's kind of true though, right? It's kind of true. true. So the thing that we've sort of, we're going to ultimately have to figure that out because mm -hmm. there's going to be a place in which a time in our careers where we're both racing Kona, we're both racing 70.3 world champs. So you're like, you're like, knock on wood, man. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like hopefully that's the situation. <laughs> right. But like, yeah, I think that is going to be our case for the mm -hmm. years coming up because it, we're ultimately going to both have the same end goal. So therefore we're likely both going to get there just given where we are in our careers. So that's something we're going to need to figure out. Um, but in the instances where we don't have to do that, I think we'll probably try and pick and choose. For example, you know, if we've got two preseason races, perhaps it's something like I go to Oceanside, Jeannie goes to 70.3 Texas. They're on the same day. Go different places. Yeah, we both go do our thing. We both meet up that night and everything's good. We did that this past year and it seemed to work out really well. But then also there are other opportunities where it might be good for us to race together. Like we both did Santa Cruz last year and we both had good races. And that was sort of like a low stress race. We were both building to Ironmans. We were both coming off a of training camp. It was more so just a fun right. race for us to, yeah. You should do it. So what, what I, since we mentioned to now, Marinda Carfrey, what they told me one time though, after Kona, they like get off like four bottles of wine, both their coaches, they sit down and they like hash out like everything for the next year, right? Like we were going to, how they were going to split it up. So that's what you need to do. Right. I think it's like, <laughs> it just comes down to building your team mm -hmm. and, um, for us, I think we still, still in that process of building our own teams separately. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously there's going to be some kind of, um, merging between those, those teams, but we're still building on individual teams to support us, um, while supporting each other. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's been a big philosophy of ours moving forward. And because we're young, we're just trying to put the pieces together. Mm -hmm. Like who is it? Um, from a coaching perspective that we need and you put the coach in the coach's box. Who is it from the strength training perspective? You put the strength trainer mm -hmm. in their box. Who's the psychologist? They do their role. And yeah, people, you know, people probably say it all the time, but this is an individual sport. That's not an individual sport. And you need a group of people behind you who back you and believe in you. Um, and we're sort of at the point in our career where it's like, okay, you either can get on the train and go with us to the destination or you can get off and that's okay. <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. um, God, who was, was telling me they use their coach told them to use this time to evaluate and she used the time to evaluate COVID and decided that she, he shouldn't be her coach anymore. But you mentioned traveling yeah. and you actually traveled by yourself though, to the early races in Dubai. And then you almost got stuck. Like ever, it was like that week when everything was like getting locked down and yeah. how'd you get back? Well, 
I am not a hundred percent certain whether or not I had COVID. I think there's a high likelihood that I did. Um, I never got tested because it was so early. Yeah. There's like a few people that I'm like, oh yeah, you definitely had COVID. Yeah. So I was in seven international airports in 10 days (laughs) and that's not, that's, and that was when it was all popping off. And so I flew Denver to Atlanta, Atlanta to London, London to Dubai and then Dubai back up to Birmingham. And then I spent a week with my cycling coach who lives in, in London. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I hung out there for a week and I felt fine. And then I flew, um, Birmingham to Amsterdam and then Amsterdam to Detroit and then Detroit back to Denver. I was home for two days and then I went to Las Vegas for a training camp and I got to Vegas and I felt the most sick I've ever felt in my whole life. And I left the training camp early and at the time it was February like 10th to 15th that Mm. I was doing all that heavy travel. And I think everything started to pop off that following week when I was in Vegas. Mm. And so I didn't have any issues getting home, but they were starting to scan people's temperatures. And I think it was on the news. I remember FaceTiming Jeannie and FaceTiming my parents and being like, what is, oh no, the the hot topic at the time was I was, I had booked flights to go to Taiwan and race 70.3 Taiwan just off the training camp. I'm crazy when it comes to races. Yeah. I do crazy. I do races I was like, everywhere. first of all, you're not going to Taiwan. <laughs> and second of all, you need to come home because you had a training camp and you're sick and yeah. you're going to make everyone else sick. And so just come home. Right. And I remember like the big talk being like, oh, is this thing going to like prevent me from going to Taiwan? And to me, like I was, was super like really motivated. Big deal, right? Yeah. I was like, okay, I, you know, I'm starting my season early. I'm going to Dubai. I'm going to, you know, uh, dust off the cobwebs. I'm going to go to the wind tunnel, which I did. I'm going to do this training camp. I'm going to be absolutely flying. I'm going to go win Taiwan. And then all this started to unravel. And obviously at the time, I don't know if anyone knew the gravity. Right. I mean, shit didn't get canceled in the U.S. till like March 11th. She's like when NBA canceled. Right. right. So. And I think like at the time, a lot of us were like, okay, so now, you know, uh, Taiwan's canceled. And then it was, um, yeah, something like, I think Campeche went off and that mm-hmm. was sort of touch and go. Mm-hmm. Oceanside gets canceled. Chattanooga gets canceled. Victoria gets canceled. And then it's like, okay, this season's shaping up to be different. Right. It's not going to be right. what it's going to be. I think about... Um, yeah, when did we sort of lock down the hardest? It must have been about April. Right. It was what, April. Here? Where, yeah, we yeah. weren't going uh, anywhere. And, and we, were pretty, we were pretty upset and sad and felt like, you know, because I had been really, really motivated and excited for the season to come. And I felt like that had been taken away. And particularly because I had worked so hard on these things that were my weaknesses. And with my coaches and Jeannie, I was continuously having this discussion that it's really hard to work at the things you're bad at. <laughs> That's true. Right. It's not as much fun. Yeah. It's, it's way, it's way harder because there's very little, uh, positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much always negative reinforcement. And so for me being like a strong swim runner, I could go and do, go to the track and run mile repeats and feel really good about myself, but I need to work on my bike. Right. So I'm going and doing these hard bike sessions that are absolutely crushing me. And so I'd done a cycle of that and I felt like I was ready for the reward and to mm-hmm. not have that was pretty challenging, but we had opportunities along the way. Like we did two of the VR Ironman VR races. Right, right, we right. did some Zwift pro racing. Um, well, okay. So this is the, we always talk about this. Which one did you like better? How accurate was it? I know there was a lot of controversy about the accuracy. All right. Well, <laughs> my, my first VR went pretty badly. Like if you watch my race, like I think it almost took me three hours to bo- do Boulder 70.3, which should take me like maybe 220. Oh, the bike? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, at the time it was only the bike because we did right, VR right, one. Right, right. So yeah, I wasn't moving. So it was like, um, 
Yeah, it was just like, I think there were, we are obviously the guinea pigs of, right. of the VR, which is totally fine because I'm, I'm all for like these opportunities and helping out and whatever. So we, we agreed to help out. And I think Iron Man was just, um, you know, getting the kinks out of the system and trying to figure everything out. And, I think, uh, yeah. didn't Joe Gambles have that too? Like he had like the wrong setup or something because he got like laughed and it was like yeah something yeah. was wrong he was in my race yeah. issues so inherently yeah. that's always going to happen yeah. with technical races like that and it's never going to be real racing and i think we're all you know genie and i both won vr15 and we both kind of looked at each other and we're like okay so we you're like in have your lunch room. now cool yeah, yeah like it's not yeah. and that again like to talk about things that have been hard this year, those were great opportunities, but they were also really difficult because they had the same sort of buildup as a real race mm -hmm. in terms of the preparation. They had the same mental focus that you needed to push yourself to that level. The race itself was equally as hard, if not harder. I had some of my highest power and paces I've ever had in the VR because it's such a controlled environment. And then and we're at altitude, and we're at these altitude. short, hard efforts. Yeah. So a very demanding yeah. event but with absolutely none of the reward psychologically that you would from a real race. It's like, you got paid $1,500. That's a reward. Yeah. <laughs> and you're doing it on three separate days. Right. So you right. have to do this like three days out of the week. Which I, is yeah. And I think like tough. the money is totally irrelevant because if you're a professional triathlete, you're likely not doing it for the money. Well, yeah. I mean, you're, it's, you're, like, yeah. it's like a nice thing. but It's yeah. nice and you yeah. need it and, and to survive. But I think like we're here because right. we like this. I mean, I could make a lot of money doing a lot of other things. Could you? I think I, I say could. that a lot, and then I'm like, oh. maybe not. Yeah, maybe that's just me being <laughs> conf too confident. Yeah, but I feel like I could get a desk job that would pay me more than doing triathlon. Well, that's a low bar. Yeah, yeah. exactly, very low bar. So the point being that I think we do this because we search that adrenaline high mm -hmm. of the race and that post race, like, yeah, like that get up and go that you get from doing a real race. Well, there's nothing that's going to replace like yeah. competing against really good athletes right. and getting the most out of yourself on the day. Like that's what really like pushes us on the day is like mm -hmm. competition, yeah. right? So well, it does for me um, at least. So yeah, it's just, you can't really replace that kind of racing. Like right. even um, the race that's going to happen in Utah next weekend, right. like it's going to be a staggered start. So like, I think... I, is it a minute? That I think they, 10 seconds. Or yeah. 10 seconds. So it's like, I don't know. It's just going to be different. It's all, and potentially this, you know, everyone has said, what's the new normal? Potentially That's this gonna, is yeah. what it looks sure. like. So maybe we need to check our expectations and say, look, you know, if we still want to race, it's going to have to look different and it's going to have to feel different which I think we're all okay with if we can get back out there. I guess we should tell people. So there is a, there have been a number of small races that like different pros have kind of organized. We talked about the Canadian pro championship last week with Rachel McBride. And then the PTO has put money behind a lot of these smaller races. And so the one we're talking about is going to be in Utah, Idaho. I can never remember. It's on the border. Yeah. It's on the border, yeah. Utah, Idaho. Um, and Sky Munch has organized it and there's going to be prize money. And so now like a bunch of pros, you're going to go do it. Justin, you're not doing it though, right, Jeannie? No, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Um, yeah, I just, I just don't really feel ready for racing. Me yet, yeah, so. I was like, yeah. <laughs> and it's going to be cold. <laughs> yeah. Jeannie challenged. Iceland champion. <laughs> I know, but it's like, I will just let you do this one, you know? Right. You you got this. It's Big great. and little mess. I got to <laughs> take it for us. Yeah, we'll do it. Um, but yeah, so they're going to, obviously they have to have COVID protocols. And I mean, we also just like, there are some races that have started up again in Europe and we're seeing that it's kind of like spaced. It's like staggered starts. It's masks, like right up till you start COVID mm -hmm. tests, all that stuff. Yeah. Everything. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they do it all. This definitely, and I think each state, I know Boulder is very COVID sensitive. And I think that's one of the, in Colorado as a state is pretty COVID sensitive. And I think that's why you've seen pretty low numbers yeah. here, um, which is great. And somewhere like Utah, I think they're less COVID sensitive and hence why they have races happening and there aren't races happening in Colorado. Right. There's a reason we all think Challenge Daytona is going to happen. Exactly. Because yes. Florida is a different place. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. And I think um, a lot of the people racing are my friends and my mm -hmm. training partners. And, you know, we call it Boulder Bubble for a reason. I think we all sort of hang out in the same circles. So, you know, now we're still trying to be sensitive and uh, conscious of COVID, but also recognizing that, you know, our training partners are our training partners. We're not really seeing anyone else. So there's a really low infection rate here too. It's like five cases a day, super low. Right. But, um, yeah. How does that play out though? Then if you're all like training partners, you're all friends and then you can beat each other. I mean, is that awkward? I don't think it is because that's how it is normally anyways. Yeah. I just, I'd prefer Girls to beat them all. Girls are different to guys, so we'll yeah. just leave it at that. Girls are yeah. different to guys. Oh, no, now I feel like we actually should expand. <laughs> right. Well, it's yeah, just explain, like, I think, I think guys can, like, race and then have a beer and, and chat about everything after the race. It's very rare that, that I've had that with women. So Really? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I mean, the guys, are, the guys are definitely like that. I want you to elaborate on that point, though, because I know the guys, we can be buddies in transition chatting. Oh man, how's your family? How are your kids? Blah, blah, blah. And then the gun goes off and you're like swearing at them because you're right, too right. close drafting or whatever. Like, oh, but then you're up. friends again. And then you like have a beer and you like, yeah, you are friends again and you chat about whatever you chat about the race, you debrief like, yeah, I miss. I that. don't know. Maybe it's, um, and this is obviously just my opinion and my mm -hmm. experience is like, say I race and I don't have the race that I want. I'm a very emotional person mm -hmm. and I take it very personally. So like I almost like go into my little shell and I don't want to talk to anyone. Right. Well, that's fair. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. like, then you just, I like, I feel bad for myself and I, that's something that I'm working on. Like, you know, you need to be critical of your race and, you know, just break it down, but also take the positives mm -hmm. away and learn to kind of like just be okay like separate the two and just like you know we we all just trying to do our best and you know um our competitor may have the best day of their life and we got to be stoked for them because like any other day that could be me right. so yeah. um it's something i i'm working on but i think it's just more of a personal thing not like oh i don't want to talk to that person it's just more like i'm just like down on myself right, right. so i'm gonna right. say we've had a number of women on who said like the women's field has gotten, well, one, a lot more competitive, a lot bigger, a lot deeper, but also, you know, more embrace, at least in the U.S., I think a lot yeah. of the American women started to kind of know each other, support each other. Right. Well, I, I just hope that it, it gets more like that. More like yes. that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I think it's different around different types of races, too. Like, I know particularly the mindset going to this Bear Lake thing is that I know my preparation is not perfect, but I also know that Sam Long's preparation is not perfect, and neither is Brad Vice's. What are you talking about? Sam has gotten every KOM in the greater Denver area. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything about preparation. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything about his race. Hey, man, you don't get paid to get Strava KOMs. Yeah, so. all I know is there's money on September 19th, and <laughs> okay. that's when it matters. So, okay. yeah, if he wins that one, then we can give him some credit. It. But oh, the sure. KOM, I rode with him an hour ago and he got a KOM up in Raymond and I was like, go for it, buddy. I'll see you two minutes <laughs> up the road. And I met him up there. So. I see him like most like 
probably every week I see him coming back on 36 and he's like, this is a highway coming back into Boulder and there's a KOM there. And so if the, the wind is right, Sam's going for it, right? <laughs> yeah. So he always passes me like I'm standing still and it's just like become a routine. It's yeah. kind of hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's just really funny. Like I think, yeah, this year in particular, I think COVID's allowed a lot of people to reflect uh-huh. and think and plan and yeah, inter- like think introspectively and understand how they tick and what we want to do. And I think we said we don't care about training. And that's a big step for us because like I said, training's important to me mm-hmm. and I love to train. And I think I've left, Jeannie's been better than me, but I've left a lot of my best races in training. Mm. And that's something I don't want to do anymore. That's good. That's a good goal. Yeah. Well, I think you care about training in a sense that you want to do what you're supposed to do, not like being an overachiever, right? And just like like Justin saying, leave it out there on on training. Um, but we obviously care about training because like um, that's what makes. But you, you don't. But you want to win. <laughs> you're saying you want to win on race day. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I think one of our biggest um, challenges in our career. And we've agreed is that we're just, we've been too serious, Jeannie and I. (laughs) Way too serious. (laughs) Yeah. Like we just need to lighten up. Like we just need to have a drink. Like we're just too serious. And I think like, yeah, it's been an interesting discussion because a lot of the young people in Boulder are like us. You mean like the young traffic? I got to tell you, over on campus, they are not too serious. Oh yeah. They have We need to hang out with them. That's what we need to do. Yeah. At the right time. I don't know. Not during COVID. Yeah. Maybe definitely not during COVID. Not go over there right now. Yeah. Okay, so you're too serious. So you're trying to loosen up. All right, so so what does that entail? What is what is fun Justin and Jeannie look like? Um, I think for us it's just like maybe going out um like more often with friends and mm-hmm. like being okay with having a drink at dinner or a couple of drinks and um I don't know, we had we we went to Durango with Tio and Rennie. Um it was a great opportunity to just kind of get away a bit and 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 we did training but we also just like really just um yeah, just had a lot of dinners with them and drank a lot of wine and just like I don't know, just realize that we we can't take life too seriously we got to enjoy it and like Tio said to us smell the roses a bit you know (laughs) like I think we we get so stuck in our routine of like train eat sleep repeat right and like then you forget about like I don't know just doing fun things you know yeah Yeah. Yeah. I think it's about rewiring what we think the recipe is to win and I think in the past in our minds, it makes sense to eat, sleep, train, right? Mm -hmm. You think that's the recipe to win, but it's not because we've tried a lot. (laughs) lot. (laughs) We've done that a lot. Like we've done that five years in a row, every day, 365 days So now you're going to try, eat, train, sleep, have fun. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's about timing, right? And I think balance. Yeah. Yeah. There's timing and balance. So I think there are times in the year where it's time to buckle down and eat, sleep, train, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't need to be January one, right? Like it doesn't need to be over Christmas missing family engagements. It doesn't need to be missing a wedding because you need to do a five hour bike ride. Like there's a time and place. And so in order to get that next percent that we're looking for, because we're not far away, Mm -hmm. we're a half a percent or a percent Mm -hmm. away, but in order to elevate to that next level, you've got to be able to take it back that equal amount at a different time in the year. So instead of just being stagnantly quite good, we need to be like a little bit bad and then try to hopefully be great. I feel like, uh, Rini and Tia are the perfect uh, mentors in this lifestyle. 
Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, I've been very fortunate to have Tim, uh, be my number one training partner and become a friend because I'm just trying to listen. I'm just telling you, he, uh, they have got the whole, like when you're off, you're off when you're on, you're on down. So yeah. And I think the big thing for us is identifying that we're not them Mm -hmm. and I'm not him. Mm -hmm. And so taking his advice and listening to him and watching, you know, just hearing his stories and understanding the success formula that they've established, but then applying that to us and, just trying to figure out what our formula is because it's going to be different from theirs. We can't carbon copy yeah. that. Um, as much as we try it, it won't work. So <laughs> you're, like, yeah. you're like, also we've tried that. We've tried a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> and they have Izzy, which is a huge advance. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. if you ever get the opportunity to meet little Izzy, uh, shout out. Um, she is adorable and just so refreshing to be around. Um, yeah, she definitely can put a smile on, on anyone's face. Yeah. <laughs> so, Gina hanging out with Izzy might've like shortened up our, timetable for children <laughs> yeah i don't know because like i was like oh, oh maybe 10 years and now i'm like huh hmm. you're like a lot of people are coming back after pregnancy hmm. yeah. <laughs> she's like i heard about this hormonal thing if we do it now then i can get it for no, no. no i'm just kidding i'm not quite ready <laughs> yeah. for that. Yeah. Uh, there are quite a few uh covid pregnancies that are in okay. the works for sure um yes. all right so as you then look forward you know, not post COVID because we're still in the middle of it, but post, you know, this year, moving forward next year, if we get back to racing, what are your goals? What do you see kind of on the horizon? Um, well, for me, I, I want to give another crack at Kona. Mm -hmm. So, um, I kind of want to work backwards from that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, just like, I think when racing gets taken away from you, you just get a different perspective. And so I would just love to race races I haven't done before and maybe travel to places I've always wanted to go to and um, just have a bit more of a relaxed perspective going into Kona to just obviously I need to qualify, but I would also just like to enjoy my racing right. leading up to that and and yeah just give give it another go and improve on things that maybe didn't go my way um and yeah just just try and incorporate like more adventure because i think this year has been really good for me in a sense that i have been able to do some cool cool rides and runs i don't typically do and um, more hilly things, which is really tough, but I think it makes you very strong. So I definitely want to do that and keep, keep doing some fun things and maybe going on training camps to, to different parts of Colorado. Cause it's such a great place. And I don't think we've explored it to its full capacity. So, Oh yeah. The triathletes here, they're, they don't really actually like go out into Colorado. Right. 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 <laughs> we've been better this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's been good. Yeah. All right. Non-year plan, your five year. Yeah, mine's probably a little bit different than Jeannie's in the sense that it is not as specific. You know, mm-hmm. she's at, we're at different points in our career where, I mean, Jeannie is almost two years older than me. And so she's raced Kona. She's qualified for Kona. She qualified for Kona on debut. And so I've done four Ironmans and I haven't qualified mm-hmm. for Kona. So I'm still trying to put the pieces together at that distance, but also recognize that I've spent, you know, 85% of my career focusing on the half and I haven't achieved what I want to do there yet. Um, so my big goal is to win races. That's a good goal. Yeah. 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 And more so get out of that, um, sort of rut of consistently being second through sixth. That has been my MO. Like I've got like 40 top fives in my career, but I only have just a handful of wins. And so it's sort of picking what I want to do and 
rather than rocking up to 10 races and being good, rocking up to two and being great, mm-hmm. I'd rather be 10th at five and win two than third at all of them. So that for me is going to be a shift right. in just my mindset and attention. So in order for me to be successful at a one day race, like a Kona or a 70.3 world champs, I've got to do that on a smaller scale first. So I think once we get back to racing, my goal is to win domestic or international halves and Ironmans. And then once I can prove that I can do that with relative consistency, get a couple of those, then I want to focus on Kona, obviously. That's everyone's goal. It's everyone's goal. It doesn't have to be. People can have other goals. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, it is. But All right. So usually we finish with a would you rather. Here's one for you guys. Since you like have traveled together and traveled apart. Would you rather win a race by yourself, like the other person isn't with you, or come in second, but you guys are together and you see the other, you know, you see what I'm saying? I'd rather be together because like I, I have been to a race where I won and like Justin hasn't been there at all. Like nobody's been there. And it's like, it's kind of an empty feeling to be honest. (laughs) So, um, I would take second, both of us taking, that's pretty good. (laughs) That's tough. He's like, a margarita after the race. (laughs) This is how badly he wants to win. It's good. It's good. You can have a different answer. I I think, I think you would have a different perspective had you not won 1070.3s already. Well, true. Sure. And so not having had as many wins as you, I feel like I still want more. Right. And maybe if you were on win number three, you'd be like, okay, I really want win number four. Hey man, you, you, you go for it. <laughs> well, you know what we want to do? We just want to both win. Why well, can't we yeah. do that? That's Why like, can't we both win? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've done it once. We didn't get any credit I'm for it. I'm just saying second <clears throat> is not a bad place no. to be. Yeah. But Which second's first guys- loser. So. <laughs> <laughs> Which race did you guys both win? Challenge Iceland. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. You said that. Yeah. Okay. And that was my first Half distance win. Mm -hmm. So it was a very special place. I feel like that's sort of when we decided we wanted to get married as well. (laughs) Potentially. Like at the finish line. (laughs) Like sort of that trip. I don't know if I was thinking about that. Maybe that was, yeah, I guess. I I feel like sort of that time, (laughs) that time frame. Yeah. We need to go back to Iceland. We were going to honeymoon there, but that obviously got put on pause. Yeah. Soon. Sometime. Someday. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us guys for our first kind of live podcast recording of course and good luck whatever happens thanks so much for having us awesome thank you for having us cheers thanks to susan for all her work thanks to Jeannie and justin for coming in and chatting with us thanks to our editor for making it all happen and thanks to you all for listening be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss anything keep listening and keep training